Good morning, church. Pastor Kevin from my living room. If you hear any cars in the background, that is because I live on a busy street and we can't do anything about that, so I apologize. Um, but would you do us a favor this morning? Would you click the share button below and share today's message in your Facebook feed? We would greatly appreciate you sharing that with those on Facebook. Now, we're going to be coming to week number six in our Tabernacle series. And we're going to be talking about practicing the presence of God. Now, when you think of the word practice, what comes to mind? For me, I think of the uh, famous words of NBA legend Allen Iverson. If you don't know who Allen Iverson was, well, you're missing out. But he was a NBA superstar in the 2000s. And in this particular season, his team was struggling. And on top of that, there was some tension between himself and his head coach. So and during an interview, um, the reporters began to question Allen Iverson's work ethic, to which he replied, practice? We're talking about practice? And he went on to use the word practice 22 times. If you haven't seen that interview, go check it out. Not right now, after this. <laughs> now, also, when I think of the word practice, it reminds me of my childhood and my high school years of playing baseball and basketball and just all the hours I spent um, in the gym or at the baseball field practicing. Now, you might relate if you played sports growing up or maybe you were in band and you had band practice or guitar lessons or a dance or drama, whatever it might be. We all can probably relate to some type of practice. But when I think about practice, although there were some good times, it was also time-consuming and, and tedious and tiresome. And for most of us, you know, there's kind of that negative side to practice. But despite all of that, I remember my coaches always saying that practice makes perfect. Yet when we're talking about practicing God's presence, the word practice is defined a little bit differently. Now, sure, the more time we spend in God's presence, the closer we'll get to Him. That's, that's obvious. But the definition of practice for us today is this. The act of making something a habit. For example, I have a habit of brushing my teeth twice a day, which I recently found out was not normal. Apparently people brush their teeth maybe once or less in a day, which is crazy to me. Um, help me out. Maybe you can count up alone and tell me what your routine is. But yeah, twice a day, that's what it's supposed to be, at least, right? Well, anyways, you know, practicing God's presence, it's not about reaching a certain point where we're really good at prayer or really good at reading scripture, but rather it's making a habit of being in God's presence. Now, in our tabernacle series, we've walked our way through the temple, or the tabernacle courtyard and the holy place, and now we come to the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was only entered once a year by the high priest. And the reason for that was, is the Holy of Holies was considered to be the most sacred and most holy place in all of the tabernacle. Now, the Holy of Holies contained one thing, the Ark of the Covenant. And today, I'm not going to tell you where you can find it, because Indiana Jones already did that for us. But I want to tell you what was so meaningful about the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when you look at the Ark, it was a large chest made of wood, and it was plated in gold. And on the sides were two cherubim, which were two angelic-looking creatures with wings. 
Now the reason for that design with the cherubim and the gold was that it was a symbol for God's footstool or his throne. The idea was that God's presence was where the ark rested in the Holy of Holies. So even though all the tabernacle was filled with God's presence, the Holy of Holies is where it was strongest. Now later in scripture we learn that the ark contained a jar of manna, Aaron's rod that blossomed, and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And the reason for these items was that it reminded the people of Israel of God's provision and his covenant with them. Now, the purpose for the tabernacle was that God wanted to be in relationship with his people, right? He wanted to dwell among them. He wanted to have relationship. But before the construction of the tabernacle, Moses was the sole connection between God and the people. God would talk to Moses, and then Moses would go talk to the people. In Exodus 32, right after we get the instructions of how to make the tabernacle, we see this very thing take place. The nation of Israel, they go to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up and spends time with God alone. Now, while Moses is up on the mountain, the people begin to get impatient, right? Perhaps Moses is taking longer than he usually does with God, or maybe they're eager to hear what God has to say. But unfortunately, the Israelites go and do something stupid. I want to read to you Exodus 32, 1 through 4 this morning. It says this, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. They probably weren't happy about that. And then it says, All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now you probably know what happens next, right? Moses comes down the mountain, he finds out what the people did, and he gets angry, God gets angry, there's some consequences for the people, but ultimately God forgives, and they continue to build the tabernacle. Now, the initial response for most of us for this situation is, why would they do that, right? I mean, they've seen what God has done time and time again. You know, uh, God has just given them the instructions of how to uh, build the tabernacle. Why would they make an idol? Well, there's two popular um, ideas on why they did this. And the first reason is probably one you're familiar with, and it was simply the fact that they were rebellious. They got impatient. You know, parents, you know what that's like with your kids today, especially during this season. But they got impatient. Maybe they thought Moses wasn't coming back, and so they just wanted to be like everybody else that was around them and worship some gods. A second idea that's less prevalent, but... I think is very interesting, and is what I want to tease out a little bit more today, is that the golden calf, it actually represented Yahweh, or God. Now, scholars believe that the calf was a commonly used idol uh, for different gods by many different nations. And the reason being is that the calves, they uh, represented or they were seen as the uh, pedestals of the gods. Similar to how the Ark of the Covenant was the footstool or throne of God. 
So perhaps the Israelites, they were wondering, you know, where Moses was because they wanted to experience God's presence. They were wondering where their soul connection to God was. So even though they were desiring God's presence, there was a problem. And the problem was is that they wanted God's presence in a way that he didn't desire. After all, he had just given them instructions for how he wanted to be worshipped in the tabernacle. You know, how he was going to meet with them. So when you read that passage and you hear it mention, you know, God's in the plural form, scholars believe that the reason for that was that that reference was referring to or was demonstrating to future readers how severe of a sin it was to disrespect God in that way. And if you read a little bit further, it's also kind of strange how nonchalant Aaron was about the whole situation. So if the Israelites were actually worshiping Yahweh, then it might make a little bit more sense why Aaron didn't see it as such a big deal as Moses did when he confronted them later that day. And that whole situation, I believe, is a challenge for all of us. Because as followers of Christ, we all desire God's presence. But we often want God's presence on our own terms. You know, in week one of the series, Pastor Dave mentioned the purpose of the tabernacle was to create a deeper sense of God's presence. It wasn't about behavior modification. It was about allowing God's people to be transformed in their everyday life. But too often we have a checklist faith. You know, we say, I pray today, check. Read my Bible today, check. And it becomes about meeting a certain expectation that God never put on us. Does that mean we shouldn't live a certain way? Of, of course not. As Christ's followers, we're called to, to love others and to uh, spend time with God, but we should make time for God out of a desire to know Him more because our actions should always be a reaction to God's presence in our lives, not the other way around. It's not about practicing to be a better Christian. It's about developing a habit of being in the presence of God, which transforms us and helps us to influence those that are around us. Now, I want to pause for a moment, and I want you to take 90 seconds to consider this question. What is your spiritual practice? What are the habits that you have created as a response to your relationship with God? Take some time to reflect on that, and even feel free to share with those around you if you're watching with other people.
As we reflect on our current situation, you know, COVID-19 has definitely interrupted our normalcy of life. Many of us are stuck at home. A lot of us have some extra free time on our hands while some of you are trying to hide from your kids. But for a lot of us, our spiritual habits have taken a back seat. Maybe the chaos of everything happening has just shifted our priorities, especially as we're unable to physically meet at church on Sunday mornings. But something we need to remember during this season, something Pastor David said the past couple weeks, is that the world doesn't need a church that only exists on Sunday. Now, as we look at the timeline of Scripture, it shows us that Israel eventually replaced the tabernacle with the physical temple. But unfortunately, that temple was destroyed. But the good news is it was rebuilt again. Now, unfortunately, another time, um, around 70 AD, that second temple was also destroyed. And that took place after Jesus' ascension, after the day of Pentecost, when the Christian church was beginning to grow. So communities were being established, Christian communities, and the gospel was being spread. However, a large group of Christians had a Jewish background, and they would continue to observe um, certain Jewish traditions because of their Jewish heritage. And so there were Jewish Christians that saw the temple as an important part of their faith. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. Now, when the temple was destroyed, that left a lot of Jewish Christians wondering how they were going to worship God. Now, the Gospel of John was written most likely after the temple was destroyed. So in chapter 4, when they tell the story of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, it was shared with this in mind. Let me read to you John 4.23. It says this, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. Also in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is saying that God is looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth, that is implying that God's presence, it's not dependent on a location, it's reliant upon a people. In fact, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that solely relying on a place to worship God, a location, as a sole means to connect with God, it's similar to making a golden calf. Now, we as Christians today, we can probably relate to those Jewish Christians. Now, thankfully, we aren't being persecuted for our faith, and thankfully, our church hasn't been violently destroyed. We're just simply not meeting there because we love our neighbor and want to be safe. But a lot of us, we might be wondering, you know, how can we worship God? How can we practice God's presence when we can't meet in the church building? And my message to you this morning is this, is that we are the temple of God. His spirit resides in us. He's inviting us into the holy of holies. We might just be unaware of that. Now for the first church, it brought change. They had to realize that God was with them and there were new ways, new spiritual habits that needed to be established. 
But you know what? It didn't stop the church. The church continued to grow. It continued to thrive. And it might be uncomfortable for us as we learn to connect with God in unfamiliar ways. It might be difficult to establish a new rhythm. But remember, God isn't looking at what you do. He's looking at the heart behind it. I want to pause one final time before we get into the practical side of how we can practice God's presence. And I'd like to invite you to pray and ask God to help you become aware of his presence and how you can grow closer to him during this season. And I invite you to pray the following prayer. What can we do then to practice God's presence? Well, first is this. Simply be aware that God's presence is always with you. Brother Lawrence was a popular Christian thinker from the 1600s, and he wrote this in his work, Practicing the Presence of God. He said that he, meaning God, does not ask much of us. Merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present, he has bestowed on you. In the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One not, need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. By simply realizing that God's presence is with us in the everyday moments of life, that will change how we practice his presence. It'll help us to respond to the world around us in a meaning and purposeful way through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you're with your family or your friends, pause and know that God is near. When you return to school or work, remember that he is near. Invite God into the everyday moments of your life. And secondly, is this. Practice his presence through spiritual disciplines. You may ask Pastor Kevin, what is a spiritual discipline? Well, let me tell you. You probably know what they are. First is prayer. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Uh, reading scripture, journaling, solitude, which means just simply being quiet and resting in God's presence and listening for his voice. A rest, taking time to rest and enjoy Sabbath. That is a spiritual discipline. And here's something really cool that I think is amazing, is that when we rest, it actually acknowledges that God is infinite and we are finite. And so by resting, we are accepting that we need to rest and let God to um, restore our soul as we rest with him. Another discipline is serving, serving others, self-examination, reflecting on our lives, getting out into nature, enjoying God's creation. That is a way to uh, experience God's presence. And there's so many ways that we can connect to God. 
So as you practice God's presence, I want you to remember two things. First is this. Different methods connect with different people. And secondly, different methods connect during different seasons. What that means is what works for one person, it might not work for you. And that's okay. Different people connect to God in different ways. That's normal and that's okay. What matters is that we're uh, making an attempt, that we're spending time in his presence to grow closer to him. And secondly, was this, is that what works during one season of our life, it may not work during every season of life. As we grow and as life changes, we may need to connect with God in new ways. We might find that a different practice or a different habit is more fruitful during a certain time of our life. And once again, that's normal. That's a normal part of our spiritual faith is learning to connect with God in different ways. So as you practice God's presence, I want to encourage you this, is that we are in a season due to COVID-19 where there is no better time to begin to establish some new habits. And the truth is, the best way to get through this season is entering into the Holy of Holies and resting in God's presence, allowing Him to bring order to our chaos. And when we rest in His presence, you know what happens? He gives us His peace, and we are able to bring His hope to a world that's filled with fear. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you that your presence is always with us. Help us, Lord, to be more aware of your presence in the everyday moments of our life. Help us to discover new ways to connect with you during this uh, time of uncertainty and change. Help us, God, to in turn, as we grow closer to you, as we become familiar to your voice, that we would go and bring your peace and your hope and your love and your care to those around us, that we would bring life to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, and that we would be a beacon of your light during a season of darkness. In your name we pray, God. Amen.